News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And uh, joining me in studio now is Matthew Reidenauer. He was a former county commissioner. And um, I first, so I was asking you during the break, first welcome to the show. Thank you for um, having me. So I, for, it, the first time I think I ever talked with you, interviewed you, Tea Party stuff. Right. That was when you sort of got involved with uh, uh, Tark Bakari, the city councilman. Um, who else was part of that crop? Yeah, of young Turks storming the <laughs> gates or something. Yeah, we uh, we had quite a quite a quite a, fun, a bit of fun back then. Yeah, that was the 2009 uh, okay. the Charlotte Tea Party, and that's kind of where I started getting involved in local politics here in Charlotte, and uh, uh, and a number of us, I guess, got our starts either as elected officials or just activists and folks who were engaged and whatnot. It was kind of neat catching up and following, I should say, a lot of those folks over the last couple of years and seeing how people have grown and developed and how they've gotten involved in like their own little ways and trying to make a difference. So it's been pretty neat to see that. So you got onto county commission and then uh, I left for reasons beyond my control. I left. Uh, and so what, and I asked during the break, like, what have I missed in the last, you know, seven or eight years or so? Yeah, well, see, if you had stuck around, maybe I would have won in 2018, you know? But, maybe. Uh, see, you leave and everything goes to, falls apart. I mean, uh. I didn't want to point this out, but I did find it to be coincident. Yeah. No, so what's, uh, it, it, it obviously, the city and the county, uh, for lack of a better term, is trended more blue. But also, um, and I don't know what your views are on any, on really on any of the recent uh, political uh, events or anything. But I mean, I've got to believe that uh, some there's some element of impact Donald Trump had on local politics. Well, I, I absolutely think that that's the case. Uh, if you look at uh, what happened in 2018, 2020. Uh, not only in Mecklenburg County but across the country, there was certainly uh, a down ballot impact. Um, of his campaign and and his personality, I should say, really on on down ballot races and uh, and it even really impacted his campaign as well, especially in 2020. Um, and and that would be the the loss of the suburbs. Um, suburbs have been trending, and we can talk here locally. You know, yeah, sh- suburbs in Mecklenburg County, Charlotte and Mecklenburg have been trending more blue um, for the last couple of decades. Really, if you look at uh, Charlotte City Councilman Warren Cooksey, who held the District 7 seat down in Ballantyne, if you look at his margin of victory back in, say, 2008, uh, 2009, 2011, he was winning 75% to 25%. I mean, that was a slam-dunk GOP district. And now uh, Ed Driggs, it's still a, a Republican district, but Ed Driggs is now winning that you know, low 60s to, 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 to high 30s. And so um, we're seeing that shift over time. Um, and then Donald Trump was just sort of like an accelerant on that in 2018 and 2020. But not 2016? I, I don't think so much in 2016. I mean, I think it, it, not like we did in 2018. And that's not entirely unexpected. I mean, midterms are never not generally good for the incumbent party. Right. So one would expect that 2018 things would have gone uh, trended more uh, Democrat um, than they would have in 16. Yeah. You wrote about this. Uh, in an op-ed at the Charlotte Observer a couple of weeks ago, headlined, My GOP Needs a New Playbook Before It's Too Late. Did you write that, or is that the... <laughs> I always wonder. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get the right to headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, they keep, that's how they keep a distance, you know, between the reporters or writers and the headline writers. Um, you say the problem is simple. Rural areas are not growing. And then you go on to say cities will become so blue and populous as to turn red states blue. So... 
First question, because you mentioned it there with the suburbs, that the suburbs are trending more blue. Why is that? Why are suburbs, because there's nothing, and you hear this actually, this argument from Democrats a lot, like, you know, land doesn't vote, right? Whenever you like show a map and you show all of the red counties and they say, yeah, but those aren't voters. That's just landmass. Who cares? Essentially, it's a it's a dismissal of the of the argument. So why, if the if the rural areas are losing population and people are moving into cities and suburbs, why does that automatically make them bluer? Well, I think that because the GOP message for your uh, urban and suburban areas has just been uh, a bit of a miss over the last decade or so. Um, I think that you look at the, the the white suburban voter, the soccer mom, and the issues that matter to her, um, I think that we have just sort of, um, we haven't m- effectively reached her. And I say her because that's really who who we lost in 2018 and 2020 was mm-hmm. that suburban soccer mom uh, vote. Was this the security mom vote as well, in your opinion, like the 9-11, post 9-11 security moms? Right, absolutely. And they were once re- reliable GOP voters, um, but 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 in 2018 and 2020, we saw that they were no longer uh, reliable. You look at somewhere like Montgomery County, North Carolina, with 25,000 voters in Montgomery County, North Carolina. Um, the GOP has planted its flag per, uh, very firmly in the rural areas, and that's great. We're holding that territory very well. But when you look at 25,000 voters in Montgomery County, compared to I had almost 100,000 voters in my 2020 uh, district county race, nearly mm-hmm. 100,000 voters in D5 compared to 25,000 voters in the entire county of, of Montgomery. So we've got to be a way, find a way to message ourselves accordingly and reach those suburban voters because that's the battleground. The battleground isn't the rural areas. We've already won that. The battleground is not County Commission District 2, Vilma Leaks, Babies Ford, that's not our battleground. No, no, wait, wait. Don't write off District 2. I'm getting ready to move okay. out to District 2. <laughs> and there's that whole area west of the airport that's all getting developed. I think we can take it back. That's what I'm making a play for. I'm going to try to get as many people as I can to get into that sliver between the river and the airport. If we could get as many people in there of a limited government mindset, maybe we maybe we take District 2. Well, we could, we could certainly use that as a bit of a beachhead, uh, especially <laughs> since it's right there on the Catawba. There you go. So, uh, so but this idea, though, that the, the rural areas, you've already won, is that really true? Because if you start changing the message in order to woo a more urban or suburban voter, do you lose... The rural ones, they just stop showing up to vote, and you need those voters, too. You certainly do, and that is a risk um, that, that you run by, by messaging uh, for a suburban voter. But I think that it, when you look at just the numbers game, you, you know, I hate to say it, you can afford to lose a few rural voters who decide, well, the GOP has gotten too log cabin Republican friendly, um, LGBT friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can afford to lose a few of those voters if it means you pick up 10,000 voters in Mecklenburg County um, or 20,000 voters in Mecklenburg County. So I think that if you're looking at it from just a numbers game, you go where the numbers are. And that means that we need to message accordingly um, for, those, for those suburban areas. We see time and time again, polls come out. Most Americans are, are in favor of things like uh, gay marriage or at least um, taking a friendlier stance towards Towards, towards the LGBT community. Um, we see things like that. We see folks that are, uh, 
you know, I'm not getting behind Medicare for all, but you know what? Their polling is pretty strong uh, on, on that issue. So we, and again, I'm not saying we necessarily have to get through behind every issue that polls well, but we do have to understand the, put our fingers on the pulse of the suburban voters, find out what, what we're, what do we believe that we can match up with, with those voters and message accordingly. And I just don't think we've been doing that very effectively in the last couple of election cycles. So that's, that does, because that's the balance that you have to strike there is, do you uh, sacrifice principles in order to get the win? Right. Because, if, I mean, a Medicare for all, I mean, you're talking about a nationalized healthcare system, a voucherized system for all, and that's going to be a heavy lift for a lot of conservatives and libertarians. But, uh, all right, Matthew Ridenauer is with me. Uh, let's uh, take a quick break, talk with Boomer Von Cannon. He's going to talk about some cars and such. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here with Matthew Ridenauer, former county commissioner. And uh, we're talking about the the trends for the Republican Party. As of late, um, you mentioned uh, during the break a couple things. Number one, how much national politics influences and impacts the local uh, scene now, which is uh, it's funny. People still kind of labor under this belief that all politics is local. And to some degree it is. But more and more now it's been flipped. Right. It's inverted. And uh, the Virginia governor's race that we just saw the results uh, last week is sort of a, a piece of that inversion. It's proof of that inversion. Right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, you know, we were talking about how, uh, you know, a candidate or, or someone elected at the local level can can only get the message out so far on some of these issues that, that kind of largely appeal to uh, the suburban mom. And, and you know, we've been previously talking about LGBT rights. And you find that people in the suburban areas are kind of like, you know what, if it doesn't involve me, I just don't really care. You know, you find people say, I don't care. I want to know what, you know, I drive my car down Charlotte's roads and I see homeless people on every street corner. We have an affordable housing problem. I, I, let's talk about that. But you know what two adults do just doesn't matter. And we hear that time and time again. So, so, but, but a, a candidate or someone locally can only get their message out if they're LGBT friendly, for example, they can only get that message out so far because it's far more, the, the message is, is much louder from the, the national level, the national GOP, your federally elected uh, uh, officials and, and candidates. And so I think what really needs to happen is a sort of a top down, whereas usually in life, I'm much more of a bottom up. But in this case, because the, the microphone is so loud at the national level, we need national level GOPers talking about some of these suburban issues and giving, frankly, a bit of air cover to folks locally, so that the fo- local folks don't seem like they're out of alignment with a national message, but that that message is actually aligned with the national level um, uh, message that the yeah. GOP is pushing. And so, up in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin wins, um, and you know, shocker of shockers, people can't believe it. And this, I guess, right, you see these results and you've got to be encouraged. Like, aha, they're listening to what I wrote about, right? They're, they read my piece. <laughs> they read my piece. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that it really was kind of a, 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 a proof of what I was talking about in that piece. And that is that if you appeal to suburbia and you, and you walk that fine line of not, not alienating the, the traditional GOP base, but at the same time, talking about issues. I mean, Youngkin was talking about CRT and education, and but he was also doing so in a way that made sense. That was very pragmatic, thoughtful. I mean, he was he was a, a fighter for sure, but he he was just not. Um, 
I don't know, as aggressive as some candidates might be. And I think, again, he was talking about the issues that mattered to Virginians. If he had said during the campaign, on my first day, I'm going to be sending the Virginia National Guard down to the border of Texas, he would have turned off all those suburban voters and he would have lost. Mm -hmm. I I don't have a, a, a doubt in my mind he would have lost if he had gone that kind of rabid, uh, Trumpian. Uh, Trumpian sort yeah. of messaging. Right. And so I think he did Populism. a good, Populist, right. Mm-hmm. I think he did a good job of speaking to the issues that matter and, and seeming like a reasonable person that folks could get behind. And, and, uh, and of course, what's going on at the national level with inflation and supply chain and all that certainly didn't help or hurt him, rather. Right. Uh, you know, but, but, so this is one of the things I, I, I talk about. Candidates matter and timing matters. And mm-hmm. as a candidate, you know this. Like, you don't have any control over the timing. You happen to run for one of your reelection cycles, right? And you ran up right up against this dynamic. So there's, you could be the right candidate, wrong time. I firmly believe also Trump would not have won had his, had his opponent not been Hillary Clinton. I also think Biden would not have won had Trump not been his, (laughs) his opponent either. Um, I guess there's just the timing of it works out where people are like exhausted or they really don't like your opponent or something like that happens because I mean, Virginian, politics has seen the kind of candidate like Glenn Youngkin before, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like he's not that, that figure, that caricature is not a new one for, uh, for a politician in Virginia. So there isn't anything like that. He's not a dynamic speaker per right. se. He's uh, it, it, so it, it was just a, a better time for him this time. It, it was, it was. And, and I think to, to, to that point of, of timing and then also the message and how it all aligned, if you go through a couple of numbers right here, Youngkin got 13% of the black vote. Uh, 12 got uh, Trump got 12%. That was a national number. Mm. Um, if you look at, uh, for example, the white women, Trump got 52%. Youngkin got 58%. Mm. Suburban voters, Trump 44%. Youngkin 49%. This is one. This is one that's interesting. Rural votes, Trump 60%. Youngkin 63%. So clearly, there's a path forward for Republicans that can not only just appeal to to our rural areas that we that we obviously hold very well but they can also start to gain back some of that suburban ground that we've lost. I think also lean the, the people were like we need to lean into the um to more of the culture battles. I think there's some truth to that. Um I also think the Democrats as they usually do they overreach and it it prompted a backlash. Um and this is something that I think a lot of Trump supporters don't like to hear which is that Donald Trump was a drag on himself. Right. I mean, like there were a lot of people that did not like the idea of having to vote for him, did not appreciate being forced into that position. So uh, you want to stick around? Sure. You good? All right. Happy Matthew Ridenauer and uh, Scott on the line has a question for you. If you want to hang on, Scott, we'll get to you. Hey, baby, when you walk that way, watch it trip, can't keep away. Alrighty, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here with Matthew Ridenary. He's a former county commissioner for Mecklenburg, District 5, no longer in that seat. Talking about politics, though, he had a recent write-up at the Charlotte Observer, uh, an op-ed. You're one of their columnists, community columnists, Month- is that what they call yes, them? Yes, that's right, monthly community columnists. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, saying my GOP needs a new playbook before it's too late. So we're talking about that and other related political matters and Scott has called in with a question, and uh, welcome to the program. Scott, hey, how are you? Great, how are you guys? Good. What's up? 
Uh, I've lived in Charlotte my entire life, and as Matthew was mentioning, this region has turned more and more blue. And one thing I've constantly seen is the influx of northerners uh, and urbanites who historically have been more Democrat. And they bring their politics and their values and what appears to be the exflux of Republicans and conservatives to more rural areas, as you alluded to earlier. So I wonder what place do I have? What place do Republicans have in Mecklenburg County in this region? Because it's, uh, I'm so, we're so diluted now, our, our opinions, our votes don't even count. And then even you look at areas like Northern Union County, Weddington, Waxhaw, that are more Republican, even there, it's getting less and less Republican and more and more Democrat. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think you 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 you, know, you just really articulated what my piece was about and my thoughts are on the subject, and that is that the uh, suburban areas have been trending uh, more blue in over the last decade or so. Uh, folks in Union County who think that's just something that's going to be localized to Mecklenburg County are wrong because eventually people are going to go to Union County for the lower taxes, and they're going to continue to vote blue. And so uh, those western parts of Union County are going to turn uh, purple and then blue eventually. Now, this could be five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, but I'm looking long term, not just the next election cycle. Um, but, you know, for, for the Republicans here in Mecklenburg County, my message would be don't give up the ship. Um, and that, and, and that's, I don't say that lightly. Uh, you know, in District 5 County Commission in 2020, uh, you know, I ran for reelection or ran to take that seat back. Uh, I lost, but lost by 2%. And there were about 25,000 votes, more votes cast in that presidential election year than were cast in 2016. Still lost by about 2%. Uh, Joel Levy down in District 6 ran for county commission against Susan Rodriguez-McDowell. Uh, he lost by less than that. I think he lost by under a percent. So these, these losses that we've had here locally, uh, state house races, same thing, state senate races, same thing. They've all been very close in 2018 and 2020. So don't give up the ship. Don't, don't lose heart that, we, that our votes don't matter, that our voice doesn't matter. It only takes a couple hundred, a couple thousand votes uh, in some of these races to completely flip them back red again. And I think that that's going to be happening in 2022 given what we've seen in not just Virginia, but how close the New Jersey gubernatorial race was. And if you consider all of the GOP school board seats that we won last week across the country, I mean, Republicans did very well on, in school board races across the country last week. So I think the wind is in our sails to flip these seats from blue to red. So, and, and Scott, one other thing to consider as well, and thanks for the call, appreciate it. Um, one other thing to consider is racking up votes in... Mecklenburg County serves another purpose, even if you don't win, even if Matthew didn't win his district seat, more turnout of Republican voters in your district added to turnout numbers at the state level and at the federal level. So even if you can't take control of, because Republicans are not going to control the city council. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. They're not going to control the county commission probably ever again. Uh, unless you rework the districts or something like that uh, and, and get rid of the at-large seats and that sort of thing, which is an entirely different discussion. But I don't know if that happens. But you racking up votes at the local level help up ballot, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. And it goes back to what I said earlier about Montgomery County having 25,000 people in the county compared to I had 100,000 people turn out in 2020. Yeah. Uh, district five, a, a, a lowly district <laughs> county position had 100,000 votes compared to 25,000 in the entire county of, of Montgomery. So, 
uh, we do need to turn out because it definitely, one, we can have some victories here locally, but two, it's certainly uh, needed for our, our senatorial candidates, gubernatorial and so forth. Yeah, Trump, lieutenant governor, the you know six of the ten council of state races went for Republicans uh, and you know Senator Tillis. Like those were the races that were up on that last ballot. That all of those candidates got helped by turnout. Even if, even if you didn't get past the Democratic candidate, your voters helped everyone up ballot get passed. So I think you're right. I think 2022 does look way more favorable for Republicans. But the question Scott asks is what we keep hearing, you know, coming back to, which is how do you compete? In fact, when I went and spoke at the Young Republicans a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, how do you compete? And I got to tell you, like I and I said, like, I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask. I I was telling people after the Asheville City Council races back uh, a couple of years ago that if you're a limited government person, there's no way you're ever going to get representation on that council. Now, they've rigged their body to be staggered terms, four-year terms, nonpartisan, quote-unquote. So they completely run the table in their primaries. But if you're a limited government person, I had this discussion on Twitter with Brent Woodcox, who is a lawyer up at the state legislature, but he's also a big YIMBY guy, yes, in my backyard, pro-development guy in Raleigh. And I said, well, Republicans helped to build Charlotte, vital to building Charlotte. And as soon as Charlotte got big enough, Democrats ran them out. And now you can't get elected. What's in it for a Republican to help build the city? Why should they? Why should they lend or donate their their time and treasure in such an endeavor? Well, for one thing, I think that it helps when we're talking about things like Tark's right now working on this regional transportation plan, and and Tark might be one of two Republicans elected out of the eleven member city council, but because he's a Republican. He's very easily able to go to Raleigh and have conversations with a Republican-controlled General Assembly to try to get um, some favorable favorable um, um, conversations going with the General Assembly and get their support behind a regional transportation plan. So even though, okay, we're not going to take over city council, we're not going to slash the tax rate, and, and we're not going to do this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. that's true. But there's still value to having a Republican here locally who can help get things done regionally. I agree with that. Right. But look at what they did. They tried to draw him out of his district. So like, so we may recognize the value in that. And I, I'm a firm believer you, you never want total one-party control of a body. you got to have at least one gadfly from the other party that's on that body so this way they can be a balance or a check on the majority party in charge. But what, what's to stop? It doesn't seem like a county commission right now. It's completely dominated by Democrats on a single Republican left. And my view, I won't ask you to go in depth on this, but my view that they've got a county commissioner who cannot even participate in the meetings. And they're just pretending that we all don't see that. I suspect if there were a Republican on that body, there might be some more waves being made about that. But like, that's the kind of corruption that occurs in my view. Um, And then you get a reputation as a corrupt body. And now businesses don't want to do business here or bad businesses do. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Almost forgot to remind you 
on Thursday. It's Veterans Day. 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Truist Field, home of the Charlotte Knights. We're going to be doing the Carolina's Veterans Day Festival. And um, I'll be down there broadcasting. Vince Coakley will be down there broadcasting. We're going to be doing a bunch of, well, other people will be doing like the yoga, CrossFit, boot camp style workouts. There's going to be inflatables. Well, you'll find me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's for the kids. Uh, courtesy of the Knights and the Panthers. And you can meet Homer the Dragon. Okay, so 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can browse the uh, many veteran-owned business booths and meet with representatives from local corporate employee resource groups as well. And Bo Thompson's going to be there emceeing the presentation of community awards. It is the Carolinas Veterans Day Festival, Thursday, the 11th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Truist Field. Also, uh, in studio with me, Matthew Ridenauer. Uh, happy USMC birthday coming up here, That's too. That's right, right, on 10th of November. There That's you right. Go. So, um, and happy Veterans Day as well. Thank you. Um, you're going to go down to, no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, <laughs> let me talk real quick about, uh, the, the vote that, uh, happened on what, I guess, Friday night or Saturday night, uh, or just before midnight on Friday, right? We witnessed as uh, Philip Klein calls it an utterly disgraceful act by a group of 13 house Republicans <laughs> that voted with the Democrats on the, uh, one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill what are your thoughts on that from uh, in the context of what we've been discussing you had these 13 republicans and they say we're going to go ahead and vote for this and and give biden the solid victory and that allowed the progressive wing the six democrats to say vote no yeah so i don't know if they were you know voting in the way they did to give biden the victory although obviously that's what what happened in the course of the events uh but i you know i think that it kind of speaks to representatives having to listen to the people of their district and vote accordingly uh, if you look at what representative uh, bacon said afterwards he, he said that it was one of those darned if you do darned if you don't he said if i if i vote against it that's good for me in a primary but if i vote uh, if i vote for it that'll be uh that'll be uh Wait, yeah, I got twisted. I think I got votes, twisted. Yeah, he <laughs> says if he votes for it in the... Oh, here, I got the quote here someplace. Hang on. If I vote for it, you vote one way, maybe it hurts you in the primary. You vote the other way. In my district, it had hurt me in the general. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's... But that's... Isn't that sort of always the pressure? You got to run in the primary. You got to run towards the base. Make sure you shore that up first. And then you can make the play for the mushy middle um, in the general, right? That's, that's standard. That's right. That so... Is. It does raise this point, though, that it was popular in his district. Right. That's what he says. He said the certain elements in our party did not like it. The bill's popular among his constituents, has broad support from farmers and unions and businesses, and the internal polls showed two-thirds or higher support in his district. And so he voted yes. And isn't that – I mean, I hear that from people. They're like, you know, our representatives should vote the way we want them to. Well, even Trump was trying to get something done on infrastructure. So it's not like the concept of infrastructure is some sort of anti-Republican uh, cause to champion, right? I mean, even President Trump was was in favor of, of some sort of an infrastructure deal. Um, and so, you know, we see it happen. And, you know, it's it's happening. Under, but so because it's a Democrat uh, administration, now suddenly uh, infrastructure is a bad idea. You know, and I think that for some Republicans, it probably makes it a little easier to swallow knowing that the infrastructure bill was decoupled from the social spending bill that we've been hearing so much about, the Building Back Better and and all of those social programs and things like that. So this was um, 
somewhat trimmed down, I suppose, at $1.5 trillion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on top of all of that. And you say that as a Tea Party guy, like, like on top of all of the other spending that we have seen, it's, I mean, it's grotesque in my view. Like, I, I am so repulsed by it, but I don't, there's, I don't hold out now. I'm under no illusion that there's either political party uh, has any kind of interest in reigning in the spending. No, they don't. They don't. When I when I was heading up the Charlotte Tea Party, I, I was uh, rallying rallying against national debt that was at uh, thirteen, fourteen trillion dollars back then. Manageable, right? Right. We <laughs> might they might be able to pay that off one day. <laughs> but now it's at what twenty seven, twenty eight thousand. I, I who's he was even, or twenty eight uh, trillion? Who's even keeping track now? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, nobody in uh, Washington seems to be. Well, I will say this: uh, we will find out whether or not the modern monetary theory is workable or not we're, we are going to find that out like That's true because this is what this is what mmt is and at some point we either go belly up as a nation and china takes us over or they were right and it didn't matter right so we're gonna find out i guess i mean i'm sorry i don't mean to call, uh, cast a poll on the conversation but uh there is another strategy uh that might have been at play here which i thought was interesting that this now gives Joe Manchin the flexibility to block blowing up the filibuster and doing the the social infrastructure bill, doing that via reconciliation. That now he's empowered because he got what he wanted, and now he can basically tell the progressives in the Senate pound sand. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? No, I think that's that's he's he's smart. He's been doing this a while. He knows what he's doing. I think that's probably a likely. Uh, 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 factor in, in, in the strategy here, for sure. Do you think Republicans at a local level then are harmed by this vote or they are helped by this vote? Because none of the North Carolina congressional delegation that are Republicans voted for this. And they put out their statements saying, you know, we opposed it and all that. So do you think there's benefit for local Republicans? I, I don't know that this is one of those issues that's going to trickle down too much to the local level and and except in the case of Charlotte and its transportation plan, there might be something there. But um, I think that on the local level, people are really more interested in those local issues. They're talking about things like affordable housing, upward mobility, CRT in schools, uh, homeless uh, uh, on the street corners of Charlotte. You know, I think that ultimately those are the issues that people are talking about. And Republicans have done such a poor job of speaking about those issues for so long. So when the, when city leaders, and I don't just mean elected officials, but folks across the city sit down for these, these task forces and things like that, rarely do you see Republicans on these. Why? Because we get branded as well, the party of no, they're not in favor of even talking about affordable housing. I have people on, on Facebook telling me affordable housing uh, problem is a myth. It doesn't actually exist. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's where we start from, then, then no wonder we don't get invited to the conversations on how to solve some of these issues. Well, homelessness is just homeless because these folks are lazy and refuse to get a job. Well, that might be for some, but there's also some mental health issues there. That's so, like mental health and mm-hmm. addiction. And addiction, that's right. That's like all of it. Right. It's like 90-something <laughs> percent of it. Very yeah. few of them are, are homeless because they just simply choose not to work. And so as so long as Republicans can't speak to these issues and speak with some sort of, hey, let's try to find a way to solve this. A Democrat might want to solve it in a different way than I do, but let's agree that there's a problem and let's try to find a way to solve it. If Republicans are unwilling to do that in the, in the suburban areas, then we're not going to win those suburban voters. 
Matthew Ridenour, good to see you again. Thank Thanks you. for coming into the My studio, pleasure. hanging out. I appreciate it. And uh, Brett Winterbull coming up next on News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. Stick around for that. I'll chat with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. That was a lot of fun.